in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. All right, so we're in week three right now in a series when a series about politics and Christians and, and not like not so much the controversial subject, but like what is a Christian's role in government, in politics? And this sermon is titled, When Good Government Goes Bad. So don't worry, by the end of it, you'll know exactly how to vote in November. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking you. So let me tell you about why this is difficult to talk about and about the central tension around some of these issues in Christianity. So let me read you two verses, or two sections. Romans 13, the first few verses says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those governing authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So you read that and you're like, wow, uh, people like to point at this verse when the government happens to be saying something they agree with, and they like to ignore this verse when the government's saying something they don't like. Uh, all right, so Acts 4, around verse uh, 18 and following, the local uh, Jewish rulers called in Peter and John. It says, uh, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So here you have a very strong and clear direct statement for both obedience to the governing authorities and also for civil disobedience to the governing authorities. And it gets even more complicated in that we don't live under some regime that we have little control over, like in the New Testament. Uh, instead, we live in a democracy, which in one sense or another, we are or we become the government. Um, and so here's a, a little discomfort. I wanted to make it very real, and there's like a thousand examples I could draw from, but I wanted to paint just one of the many issues I see kind of crawling around on Facebook walls and things today. Um, so let's see here. Both sides of the aisle of our present, you know, two-day or two-party uh, system want the other side to conform according to whichever verse sort of feels most comfortable at the time. It's not just a conservative or a liberal tendency to want the other side to conform. So here's a good example, and I'm not taking sides on this, I just want you to understand where I'm coming from on this. So when the protests were happening after the killing of George Floyd, there were many people who were like, hey, you know, there's a curfew that's been instated, so, you know, get into your homes. Um, obey your governing authorities, get into your homes. It's for the good of the economy, the good of the city, and the good of your neighbor. And this was all, this is largely a good call to stop the burning of our city. But the 98% of peaceful protesters who weren't starting anything on fire were like, hey, this is my First Amendment right. This is my country too. Why can't I be out here, you know, peacefully protesting? Uh, but the sins of the few took away the rights of the many. And now here's where it gets really interesting, is that when that same government that issued the curfew issued a mask mandate for indoor public spaces, Many of the same people who were saying, get in your homes, uh, were now being told by the other side of the aisle, were saying, obey your governing authorities, wear masks, it's good for the city, good for the economy, and good for your neighbor. But then they said, no, my rights. And so what's really interesting is you see a breakdown here and that both sides of the aisle were very happy to say the other side ought to be obeying the government until it became something that they thought infringed on their individual sense of their rights. And so both sides said, 
you need to conform. And then both sides said, no, my rights. Um, and it's just, it's just how it gets really tricky and how people can pull, and you see Christians pulling different verses to kind of cherry pick according to their ideology. So I've got a bit of a long example here. Uh, you might have known, if you've been with Capital City for a while, you know I'm a little reluctant sometimes to quote from a, a, the same source too often. You've heard it some with C.S. Lewis. I try not to overquote him. But this is Martin Luther King's uh, letter from a Birmingham jail. I try not to quote it too often, but it's so good. Like if you read one thing that I recommend this year, go Google Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Uh, so I'm gonna read a section of it because he teaches on this far better than I could. He's writing to a group of, of white clergy who were kind of, they were bothered by the civil rights demonstrations because they were breaking some laws or breaking some minor laws, at least in, in their sense of it. Uh, and so he writes back, in, in the newspaper, he says, you express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. This is certainly a legitimate concern. Since we so diligently earn people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954 outlawing segregation in the public schools, at first glance, it may seem rather paradoxical for us to consciously break laws. One may want to ask, how can you advocate, advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? I have this text in blue here, and it's quite hard to see, so part, bear with me here. Um, the answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine, this is the whole issue here, how does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. And he goes on to make a few more arguments. He says, thus it is that I can urge people to obey the 1954 decision of the Supreme Court for it is morally right. And I can urge them to disobey segregation ordinances for they are morally wrong. Uh, skipping a few more paragraphs here, otherwise it would get too long. He says, sometimes a law is just on its face and unjust in its application. For instance, I have been arrested on a charge of parading without a permit. Now, there is nothing wrong in having an ordinance which requires a permit for a parade, but such an ordinance becomes unjust when it is used to maintain segregation and to deny citizens the First Amendment privilege of peaceful assembly and protest. I hope you are able to understand the distinction I am trying to point out. In no sense do I advocate evading or defying the law. That would lead to anarchy. One who breaks an unjust law, uh, but then he goes on to make this point. He says that one who breaks an unjust law, as he did, must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for law. So that's the whole sermon. We'll see it. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, this is just a great, he, he, he really dives into what, uh, what, what does it look like to obey the governing authorities in a just and unjust sense. So when do you obey your governing authorities and when do you, in a sense, civilly disobey to seek a higher authority in God and in scripture? And King has it here that you obey your governing authorities as long as their leadership is consistent with God's law and biblical teaching. And if they are not, like in the case of segregation, 
then he, he thought, and rightfully so, that he had a civil duty to disobey. And here's the thing is not to disobey underhandedly and then hide in the bushes, but to break that law openly, peacefully, lovingly, and with an ex- a willingness to accept the penalty, whether that be imprisonment or fines or whatever else. And this fits with another tension in the Christian life. And it's the tension between that Jesus says that we are a city on a hill. We are meant to live on a hill to sort of transform society. We shine our light for all to see that it would be like a lighthouse to a ship, you know, knowing where to to come in. But Jesus also says to Pilate, right before he's crucified, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So you wanna, I mean, Christianity is filled with these paradoxes and not because it's inconsistent, but because God's truth often is, is so nuanced and complex for humans to understand that a lot of it seems like paradox to us. And you can spend a whole lifetime wading in. They say, uh, the book of John has this quote about it, that it's uh, shallow enough for a toddler to, you know, sort of splash in and not drown, but deep enough for an elephant to drown. And so I, I think scripture has this to it. So Jesus says, you know, we're to be a city on a hill to transform society, but also that his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus did not come to set up what we think of as an earthly kingdom, or he did not come to set up a a, a sort of a kingship for himself. He had the opportunity multiple times they tried to make him king, and he sort of slipped out through the crowd. So we have to be careful not to fall into what's called dominion or domination politics, where we try to get a bunch of Christians or a bunch of people who agree with us elected to essentially run our city or our neighborhood or our country as if it were a theocracy. Then you end up trading Christian ethics for power and you keep giving away more of your Christ for more power. And as more Christ goes out and more power comes in, you end up getting this sort of monstrous uh, recipe. We ought not to become the hermit either, burying our heads in the sand and building walls. We want to be the city on the hill whose light is a guide for all who see that they might draw near to that city on a hill. So you might be sitting there sort of wrestling with some of these paradoxes uh, and say, well, you know, very practically then, we've kind of been in the theory the last two weeks. Josiah really covered a lot of the groundwork, but then you might be sitting here thinking, well, like, what do I think about politics? Or how should I vote? Or what should I say on my Facebook wall? Or whatever else. Um, and first, I want you to know that Capital City will never presume to tell people how to vote. That's simply not our mission, not our goal. Um, but even if I were trying to tell people how to vote, it would be a very hard thing. I wish it were an easier thing for me to have a clear leaning. Um, but it's not even easy to decide. Um, What I can say, what I do know, is that tribalism and partisanship, which is a lot stronger now than even when I was a child, is toxic and poisonous. So tribalism and partisanship on either side of the aisle is toxic and poisonous. And if you ever find yourself thinking that either party, whether locally or or nationally, uh, is the demonstration of godliness or God's will for our people, for this country, then I, I will say, almost without a doubt, you have an idol between you and God. If you think one side of the aisle has the answer to godliness and righteousness, then you have an idol between you and your relationship with God. But if you follow first scripture and the teaching of Jesus and let that, let that inform your politics, you'll often have a weird and nuanced view where no one can quite figure you out. Sometimes liberals will think you're conservative, conservatives will think you're liberal, people you think you're flip-flopped and politically homeless and a big old mess, and it's not fun and it's not easy to be there but we are a politically homeless church because neither side of the aisle has a corner on righteousness. Um, None of our two-party systems is particularly righteous, I was saying. Um, I've heard it described as a reception menu. Uh, Jonathan Lehman talks about this, one of the books that Josiah recommended. He was uh, 
he was preparing the earlier part of this series. He said, you've got to read this chapter. Uh, so Jonathan Lehman describes it as a wedding reception. And what they offer is chicken or fish. But say what you're looking for is steak or a vegetarian meal or something. But all that's on offer is chicken or fish in a two-party system. So neither has what you want or what's maybe right for you. But you'll have to do your best with what is given. And our two-party system is kind of the same. It's not, it's not what the, the Bible asks for or recommends, but it's sort of do the best with what you're given. Um, one of the most dangerous things for a Christian is to enter into that tribalism and partisanship uh, because neither party has a hold on Christ-like ethics. All right, I'll skip this next part here for time. Um, I jumped the gun here and got into political homelessness a little bit earlier. Um, Something I'm really happy about regarding feeling somewhat politically homeless sometimes and seeing this as well in Capital City is that I'm really glad that at Capital City we do not have a monolithic church culture. And that's one of the things we strive for from the beginning. I actively recruited people for this church plant who did not necessarily fall in the same places and certain views, theological and political, because it's a way for us to show that what we share is Christ. And we have this broad tent uh, in Christ. Uh, so, as an example, just to talk about political names that people know, before the field narrowed and people dropped out of the election, know that at Capital City, people who are reading the same scriptures and love the same Jesus as you, we had people at, at Capital City who were uh, Bernie supporters, Biden supporters, uh, and we're a small church here, uh, third party supporters, uh, people who wish for a more historic and traditional conservative leaders like John McCain, who's now passed, uh, Trump supporters, and also libertarians. And we're a church of what, 50, 60, 70 total people, and we had people all throughout this, this gamut. And we need Christians in all of these spheres because there is not a one-size-fits-all, and God calls us each to different, um, different ministries and different outreaches. So people who read the same Bible as you actually have different views than you. White evangelicals in our country tend to lean conservative. Black and Latino evangelicals overwhelmingly lean liberal. What's interesting is that white evangelicals and black evangelicals share more in their theology than white evangelicals and white Catholics. But white evangelicals and white Catholics share more in their politics than white evangelicals and, white, and, and black evangelicals. You get what I'm saying here? So people who have the same theological views as us, but maybe come from different backgrounds, have remarkably different politics. And it makes you think, hmm, maybe things aren't as clear as they seemed when I was young and was fed this view or that view from my parents or my school or my university or whoever. Uh, also, kind of a funny story, I maybe shouldn't tell this, but uh, rural Christians and urban Christians have a remarkably different view of politics as well. We were camping up in Bemidji this last week, and uh, this guy at the campground found out that I was a pastor. And man, his, his association between me being a Christian pastor and me definitely being on his like tribal like side of his like issues that he wanted to hit was like he just came out guns blazing um and so he found out as a pastor and he's like oh you know sometimes we love to get out into south dakota for a taste of freedom you know i'm like because you know the twin cities are really uh and he didn't finish but given the whole conversation that had happened before it he was clearly leading up to the fact that he, he wanted to say the twin cities is really restricting individual you know liberties and freedoms and he had masks in mind and I sort of just was like smiling and nodding. And I was like, you know, part of me was sort of like, dude, read the room. Like I planted a church um, a half a mile away from downtown St. Paul, like read the room, right? And so it's like, you know, keeping people thriving and safe in a community of 4 million people in the metro area is going to look different 
i.e., you know, like how you deal with ma the mask issue, will look a lot different in a dense metropolitan area as into rural South Dakota, right? But here he was, just guns blazing, like tribalism first, wanting to make friends with me based on tribal politics rather than, uh, you know, political, or rather than our, our shared view of Christ. And so I just, I got a kick out of that, just kind of smiling and nodding along so we could move on. Um, so Capital City celebrates that we don't just have one view, theologically as well, on issues of creation. How exactly do humans come to be here? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? You know, are we just created, just snapped into existence? De novo, did God use uh, evolution as his pen? You know, like what, what, what exactly, we have different views here and that's okay. There's a lot of good views that you can have on this issue. Maybe once we're not like in our first or second year of our church plan, we'll, we'll talk about some of those, but I'll, I'll let people rest for a bit before we get into that. Um, roles in marriage in the church, politics, uh, Calvinism, Arminianism, anyone who went to a Christian undergraduate uh, loves to talk about this or has heard way, way too much about this. Um, whatever shibboleth is out there, we celebrate not having a monoculture around it, unless it's the center of our faith. We celebrate having a monoculture around the center of our faith, that Jesus is Lord, that he came and lived and died for our sins, that he rose again on the third day, that he's now seated on high at the right hand of God, and that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Uh, Romans 14, I've heard described uh, by John Piper, actually, of all people. Romans 14 described as the most postmodern chapter in the entire Bible. Go read it and you'll laugh. It looks like it was written today. Um, Paul's like, whether you're a vegetarian or whether you eat meat or whether you drink wine or don't, just let each one be fully convinced in his own mind and don't let your brother stumble. So like, love all, but be fully convinced in your own mind. And like, that's, that's a message for today is, Fully work out your theology and don't be afraid to have a particular view, but, but talk about that in love with others. I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. Um, so, yeah, be fully convinced in your own mind, but don't, don't avoid those conversations. Some people think, hey, because we've got different views coming together under one church, well, maybe we can't talk about anything that's tricky. Rather, have those discussions, but in grace and love and work toward truth together. So we don't avoid those conversations, but we have them in humility and in grace, because over time, you change. Who, is, who has felt like their political views have changed in the last 10 years? Anyone? Not like remarkably, but just any change in your, see? So we have these conversations in grace and truth. I think 90% of people raised their hand. Maybe the only ones who didn't were just not feeling like raising their hand. But I, I, everyone's political views change, um, depending on who you know, where you live, what, you know, what job you have, your views change. If you work, you know, in education and you work with the poor, that will affect your politics. Um, if you work, you know, as a lawyer trying to defend a religious liberty and freedom, that will affect your politics. It's just what you do, who you spend your time around affects the way that you, that you view these things. Uh, I heard the other day, and it's, it's so true, uh, that, that people who can uh, light up uh, on Facebook, any, any, you could open your Facebook right now and you'll see a debate like this on your comment stream, uh, on your, on your newsfeed. But that I heard the other day that people who disagree with each other over Facebook, if they were just together in person, they would be really good friends. Like, have you ever thought about this? Like, or maybe this has happened to you where like, you're with people who have different views than you, but you love them. Cause like, you're sort of hardwired to love other people who are around you, you know? But then when it, when somehow when you mediate that existence onto Facebook, just like some of the worst, or, or an email as well, some of the worst of us can come out. So here's advice, it's just, I almost never do this. This is just advice from your pastor. And I say this, it's hard for me to say this cause I also work as a professional writer sometimes. Um, and so I have a very high view of the written word, but let me say this, don't email or Facebook argue ever. That is like, not that there's never a case for it, but here's, if you want to save yourself a life of heartache and trouble, 
don't ever use any sort of textual representation of, of conflict. Call a person or talk to them in person. I have seen families and entire churches fall apart because they kept doing their conflict over text, like over email and stuff like that. Um, so sometimes you'll want to comment, you'll want to email, you'll want to tell people how they offended you, but I promise you about 98% of the time you will just make it worse. Call them, meet together every single time without comment, without fail. I hope that someday, 40 years from now, if you haven't seen me in decades, you'll remember like, oh, there's that pastor guy. I didn't really think that much of him, but I remember he said, never deal with conflict over text of any kind. You know, call a person or meet them in person. I, I hope that that would save you many hours of pain um, and that would keep your relationships stronger. Uh, so yeah, call, meet together. Don't write your arguments. Write your praises and write your thanks, but don't write your arguments. Uh, so what does this all mean for us? Our kingdom is not of this world, yet we are called to transform the world and we hold this intention. Jesus became a man in order to save us. He didn't become a hermit, but he didn't become an earthly king either. At least, you know, not like we think of a king. But he embedded himself in human light, human, human life. He taught, he loved, and he wept with those who weep. He transformed people and then he saved people. And then he sent his spirit to keep transforming them, in more, conforming them more and more into his image. And this is a picture for the church and how we ought to reach out in our communities. We are not to be partisan. We're not to identify as tribal or Republican or Democrat or whatever, but we are to incarnate into our communities. We are to become like the people that we want to reach, to transform them, to share the gospel with them, to love and to heal, to teach and to weep with those who weep and to show Jesus to them so that they might be saved by him, that they might become like him. And then we help them to keep growing into his image. And often this involves community involvement. And sometimes it involves political involvement. And sometimes not, depending on God's talents and skills and calling that he's given you. We believe that God has put government here for a reason. And it will continue even after the new heavens and the new earth are here. We, there will still be rulers and government. It's part of how he made us. But even though it's good, it's fallen. So government, even though it can be good, just like our own lives, we can be good, but we are also fallen. And when good government goes bad, our allegiance is to God. So our love and grace has to be toward one another. You know, Jesus says, you will be known by your love for one another. So in all the things that you do, make sure that you, you work in love toward one another and know that our primary duty is to follow God. So how do we reconcile all this? Obey your governing authorities, but if your governing authorities are disobeying God, know that you have a higher calling first and foremost. That's it. Let me pray to close us. Um, Lord, thank you for calling us, for, um, for saving us, for, for sanctifying us, justifying us, building us up. Uh, we pray for wisdom on this issue. It is incredibly complex, Lord. And it's even not enough just to say, uh, obey your governing authorities, but if they go against you, then, then seek a higher calling. It's, it's difficult because then people will disagree on when the government is going against your order, Lord. So we, we pray for wisdom. We pray for humility and grace that we'd be able to love one another. We pray that we would not see ourselves as um, Republican or Democrat, that we would not approach this in a tribalistic way, but that we would, we would rather try to be like you We'd read your scriptures and follow in your example, 
and that we'd let the politics then fall where they may. We pray that we would be nuanced, that we would be confusing. We pray that you would give us grace to walk through what is often political homelessness, um, and that you just give us grace to be like you, to be the city on a hill. Uh, we pray for Capital City. We pray for all of us uh, during uh, the in enduring of COVID, that you keep us safe and healthy and also help us to come out stronger after this. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com.